Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Yours Mentally. On today's episode we're going to be talking about online therapy and support groups. So ever since the pandemic has started, online therapy has been quite prevalent because in a lot of places in-person therapy was not allowed or people wouldn't consent to it, right? So while online therapy is prevalent, a lot of people have a flawed perception of it because they're not sure of what it is or how I'd like to put it, they wouldn't want to risk it. And rightly so, you know, why would they want to walk into something that they're unsure about? So on today's episode of Yours Mentally, we discuss in detail what online therapy is, what are its advantages, what are its disadvantages from, you know, the, not only the client's perspective, but also from the therapist's perspective. And not only that, we also go on to talk about support groups like at least me, I didn't exactly know what support groups were before I did this episode. Like my only idea of support groups was what I saw in the movies, which is, uh, I wouldn't say completely different, but it is different from what, what support groups actually are. This episode is in conversation with Dia Khatri, who's an MA in psychology with a clinical specialization. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So on today's episode, where we're going to be talking about online therapy and support groups, Dia, what are the restrictions one faces when it comes to conducting therapy online? So I think first is the main thing that we're going to see is there's that human and person disconnect. You know, I'm not face to face with my client. I cannot see the body language the client is showing. I'm not seeing any tapping behavior that's coming up. That's the first thing is, you know, there is that sense of disconnect that comes up. And I think secondly, it would be nonverbal cues, right? I mean, so many times, you know, in sessions, I'll see if I bring up one thing, you know, we see clients suddenly cross their arms. Mm-hmm. Or there's a sudden deep sigh. You know, mm-hmm. there is so much of, you know, we have, it's called like somatic experiencing, you know. We see it and we kind of hear it in that moment. And that speaks more than what, you know, a full a full-blown conversation would. Just that one sigh, one crossing arms or just tapping behavior, skin picking. So a lot of anxiety responses is missed out on because I'm just going to be seeing the face max till the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of that is missed out on. And I feel they are integral part of the therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is like technical glitches, something that I think I face almost daily. It is so out of our control. Yeah. And so many times even on the client's end, right? And then that whole session gets cancelled and, you know, I see clients apologize. I'm so sorry, my Wi-Fi dropped. And I was like, that's not really in your control. It's totally okay. Mm-hmm. So a lot of technical issues that come up. And then sometimes, you know, you'll see like people will walk in and out of, you know, your your screen or your client's screen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they don't know that they're in a therapy session. So then I just suddenly have to go mum. So sometimes, you know, that can really break the flow of the session. So there are a lot of restrictions that do come up. One of the other things, which is just the excessive amount of coordination that is required for a session to happen. Earlier, it was just book an appointment, write it in your diary, you know, and the client came up. Now it's so much of, join this link, this link doesn't work, join another link. I feel there's just a lot more added work now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that anxiety, even for a counselor, I feel does come up. Yeah, I feel these are some of the restrictions. Yeah, I feel like also another thing, like the whole the whole thing of therapy from home is also a big problem even from like the client's end because, hmm. you know, there are a lot of people who go for therapy secretly, right? Not everyone does talk to their parents about it, uh, yeah. considering they're above the age of 18. Hmm. Not a lot of them tell their parents. So, you know, now that it's everything from home, where can they even run away from home to go for therapy? So you have to so do it true. from home. Yeah. So I feel like that is one of the major yeah. obstacles that people face. And like a lot, of, a lot of people that I speak to, you know, they're worried about going to therapy because... They are worried about the people at home, you know, continuously walking mm. in and just seeing because yeah. it's just it's just a habit, you know, just to just stand and just stare. Just at see what, suddenly, what, like, oh, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, no. yeah. That yeah. is very often. 
and you know i i actually face that a lot with some of my clients where because i have a more of a younger age group clients when you know their parents don't know they're going for th- therapy mm-hmm. so a lot of them are taking like sessions from their bathroom or then going to like a park or going oh. to a building or going to a, you know another friend's house just for a therapy session so you know there was so much added stress for them as well is like how do i cover this from my parents yeah. so you know you know when they're coming to the clinic i feel there's that you know there are safe spaces established but so many times you know your safe space might not be home and you're still mm-hmm. taking that session in the home mm-hmm. so there's a lot of feelings that need to you know be spoken about like how is it taking a session in your home where you know something traumatic happened the day before something scary happened the day before a very big fight happened the day before and you have to take it in that space like yeah. you're sitting with those feelings in that space so that can be a little difficult definitely but you know on the contrary also i do feel like a lot of clients are also preferring you know sessions from home because mm-hmm. of how convenient it is it's that i yeah. don't have to do a travel mm-hmm. right i don't have to do like one hour go then do the session come back it's like 3 hours here i'm just at my home from the comfort i can take it yeah. but it's it's i think it's very it's very like individual like a very preference based it's yeah and another aspect that i just thought about is even like mm-hmm. from the therapist point of view now i feel mm-hmm. like obviously the, their parents know that they have studied psychology their therapists but not many of them are still understanding of the field that they in right yeah so and not all of them do come from privileged homes some of them must be living in very small homes so yeah and i think a rule of therapy is that you know it's no one supposed to be in the room that you're in while your session is on that's so why. that is also very very big difficulty that's faced by very therapists. big very big i think i face this almost on a daily basis where now i just even like my online sessions i take it from the clinic figure to find a space where no one is entering like someone rent off or something or me and my sister share a room mm-hmm. you know so so many times i'm like okay you have to go out for four hours now i also can't expect her to be out of the yeah. room for four hours where you know she needs to do work mm-hmm. so then i'm just like no 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 let me I'm just going to go to a different space altogether and just work from my <laughs> clinic. So I'm like here at the clinic till like 8 9 p.m. because it's like I need to just get my sessions done over here. Yeah, fair enough. Right. So Dia, what new skills were psychologists required to equip in order to conduct therapy online? Mm-hmm. So I think one more than a skill I would say is to check your feelings towards mm-hmm. teletherapy. So you know actually I was hearing this podcast from Tony Talks Therapy. She's one of my like favorite podcasts. like mm-hmm. posts and also like a very good instagram channel i really resonate with her work uh-huh. so over there uh, you know she was this was i heard this podcast actually somewhere around like june last year june so i had not really started therapy and you know she was talking uh-huh. about it and every time i was hearing about it i was like oh my god this is going to be so challenging and you know she mentioned something about like shifting your mindset and that mm-hmm. was one thing that i worked on a lot was shifting my mindset like this mm-hmm. is what it is really can't change it it's not like i'm not going to see clients because of it it's it's a lot of adaptation to do right so a lot of your openness your curiosity with telehealth needs to be there with teletherapy needs to be there you know know what challenges are going to come up with you know something that again like categorize into in my control versus out of my control mm-hmm. i had a lot of reservations because like okay this is so for me also i got into that space of okay this will talk about my effectiveness as a counselor i have to prove and then i was like wait what am i proving i also had to kind of you know take a step back as to what am i proving here i said okay there are going to be challenges different set of challenges so how am i going to navigate and negotiate with these challenges mm-hmm. so you know until now i'm still learning it's not like i know everything about teletherapy no i don't i'm still learning about it and the one thing that i i worked a lot on was the what ifs 
because mm-hmm. i'm someone that does go to a lot of the worst outcome you know the worst outcome part so i was like okay so mm-hmm. what if my wifi drops what if my client doesn't show up for the sessions and i was like okay then what then mm-hmm. what do you have to do then i think of my then what then i again do what if then again do then what right you know such a common cbt technique i was like you know find your conclusions Oh. and also understand like what is in my control here like that wifi dropping that technical glitch happening zoom suddenly crashing that's mm-hmm. not at all in my control yeah so you know we also kind of have to not blame ourselves for it because yeah. sometimes you know i feel like the therapist will take that you know the onus on them that oh i'm so sorry that the the session didn't happen like zoom crashed or my wifi crashed uh-huh. but it it's normal you know this is how technology works sometimes it doesn't work that's yeah. it right Do you have to ask you? Were you are you sort of thankful for online therapy that you know the whole pandemic happened and all of it, or would you just prefer like if life was normal and the therapy sessions were you know just how they were physically? Oh, that's a very good question. I you know the thing is, it's if you ask me this few months back, I would be like, I wish things were not so crappy. I wish things were better than this. I wish I could see all my clients face to face. But you know. I have so many like now different clients that are not just in India that I have abroad as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like that I would have never seen that area, right? Because mm-hmm. so over here I'm exposed to such a different clientele as well. I'm exposed to different challenges. I'm exposed to you know different presentations. How do I navigate this? How do we navigate this together? Mm-hmm. So I don't. I feel like okay, yes, the pandemic did happen. It affected it affected our mental health. It also affected our approach towards mental health. How do we navigate this? But I feel like it also taught us a lot more. Like it taught me to be so creative. Like something that I would not do, mm-hmm. I'm doing it now. Like especially with children, it's a it's a different experience altogether. Mimic their environment, you know, change it from their study area. Like all of this, I would not have ever thought of. but now i see that change that you know if i make them if i have a session when they're in their study area they're completely distracted and they're hating it but mm-hmm. if i make it have it in a situation where you know there's cl- there's like clay there's sand they're in a more like nature oriented environment i see them actually more attuned to the session mm-hmm. so you know like just listening and understanding that language is so important and i feel like that's where it like for me it kind of you know opened up some areas that were very restrictive i i was a i'm a structured person So for me to step out of that box is so difficult. But when I had like the pandemic, teletherapy, something that no one has like navigated to this extent before. Obviously, we've had sessions. So at Mind Temple, we've been doing teletherapy actually for a while. A lot of the senior psychologists have been doing teletherapy. So and it's been going really well for them. But just like obviously, it was not at the same volume with which we're doing it now, right? They had like a few, three or four clients that were you know abroad. Or mm-hmm. like somewhere outside of Bombay that they were seeing them for teletherapy, but not at this volume. So I think mm-hmm. it taught us so much. Like someone like me who likes to write, I like to write a lot in my sessions. So I'll mm-hmm. write down some words that come up, or you know, something a phrase that the client has used, or like a technique I'm showing the client. Mm-hmm. You know, so in that, like now, obviously I can't write it on a paper and then try showing it on Zoom. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I, I you know, I use the whiteboard text. I use the whiteboard uh-huh. feature of Zoom. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'll write down things over there. and like i actually see them more attuned to the session right because they're seeing it in front of them yeah so also finding like different outlets of expression so for one of my clients i was finding it so she didn't like art she didn't like painting she didn't like any of the creative typical artsy field but she yeah. loved making ppts so then that became like a way that she expressed what she was feeling how she yeah. wanted to go about her goals So like these were things that I would have never like explored otherwise. Right. So Dia, can you tell me what are support groups and what is the difference between a one-on-one therapy session as compared to a support group? 
Okay, so let's let's look at what a support group is. Okay, now to simply put it, it's a group of people with a common experience or concern, and they provide support to each other, either with encouragement, you know, advice. I would say I'm still not the best word to use, mm-hmm. but it's a lot. Now to now from my understanding of it, it's that feeling of having a shared experience. It mm-hmm. can be shared experience, shared vulnerability, shared grief, and. So when I remember when I when I remember about like support group, the one person that always sticks to mind is Yalom. You know, he described like therapeutic factors which are like so exclusive to the experience of how a group functions, and that's one way I always like to kind of differ between uh, individual and support group. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take two of them up. One is uh, feelings of hope. So mm-hmm. hope is flexible, and it also looks at that power of expectations, like the hope I'm having from this group or the, what I'm expecting from this group. Right, or from this therapeutic experience, so you know over here it doesn't look at that expectation to improve. Like, okay, one has to do better than the other person in the group, but mm-hmm. it more so looks at that hope of this being a safe space. Like every week, I come back to my safe space with this kind, with this group of people that are having the same common experience, similar common mm-hmm. experience that I'm also sharing. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's this safe space that's been created, and I, you know, I see such wonderful connections that happen in these support groups. Because I see so many of them will start ref like so the first two three sessions you don't see it much but you know I see like little by little like in the third session in the fourth session I see how you know they start talking to each other and finding that common like narrative like oh yeah you know I I hear you or they'll say something like oh yeah this happened with me as well I feel that too mm-hmm. you know then it's that sense of universality right you're feeling it that this you know this feeling is so universal mm-hmm. it's a very crucial aspect of group mm-hmm. so when we look at individual therapy especially in the first session i feel it's very daunting i mm-hmm. think when i also went for my first session of therapy i was like what the hell am i going to talk i don't know what i'm <laughs> going to say i think i'm just going to sit and cry and that's what my session is going to look like it feels so daunting mm-hmm. so like coming to a space and like you know sharing all your vulnerable parts right so so sometimes you feel like no no one will no one understands what i'm going through no one knows what i'm going through but there are actually people you know maybe in our circle or beyond our circles that are also going through something very similar they may be in the same boat so when it comes to support groups you know that feeling of it's universal you know mm-hmm. it's like that shared grief it's shared vulnerability it's a very big pillar it's a very important pillar of doing any kind of group work to answer this i don't think it's it's not easy to say that one is group is more effective or individual is more effective i think it really looks in terms of your needs and expectations mm-hmm. so you know whenever we even have like we do a lot of sub, we have a few support groups with mind temple and mm-hmm. mother trust So over there, we always like ask the if any you know uh, applicant is um, interested in the support group. We always ask them, "What do you expect from this group?" Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes we hear a tone of, "I don't want to hear someone else talking about mm-hmm. grief. I don't want to hear this." So then we're like, "Okay, maybe then this is not the right space for you because this is what you're going to be hearing. This is how the group functions. People are going to be talking about it." So mm-hmm. if it does trigger, then I I always say, "Then you know what? Maybe start with individual therapy and then see how it goes." Mm-hmm. Another second factor to look at could be intensity and frequency. of how big are these emotions feeling and how often are you feeling these big emotions mm-hmm. it's feeling a lot then maybe group might not be the correct space because you're not going to you know the time has to be in a way kind of distributed right like one person cannot take that whole session and no one else in the group speaks mm-hmm. right so then like like you know the facilitators will make sure that there's like some sort of distribution in timing and in terms of people talking So then, you know, maybe people might feel like, okay, I'm not being heard enough, or I'm not being. So then, you know, your needs and expectations and intensity and frequency, I think, are good parameters to decide whether individual is more effective for you or group is more effective for you. 
or maybe both right so dia we spoke about support groups right now can you tell me what are the different kinds of support groups that exist and can support groups be primary source of treatment for a person or does it like have to supplement from other forms of therapy okay so there are lots of support groups mm-hmm. and so i have so i've seen a obviously grief support groups anxiety cancer caregiver aa groups add mm-hmm. groups autism depression gambling eating disorder that the list is endless there are a lot of support groups you know the concept of support group is still very new in our indian space yeah but how post covid i don't know why i'm seeing a lot of you know support groups coming up mm-hmm. i think with covid i think we saw an overall increase in mental health awareness mm. and a lot of channels that have also a lot of pages that have started a support group so and also more than anything one very big factor is that sometimes individual therapy is expensive so support groups are and more are a more economical option as well so you know i feel it's a good approach and a good like way to start therapy sometimes in terms of uh, support groups i think one group that i can talk about is the grief support group because there is some area that i've had i've had experience in that area mm-hmm. so uh, mind temple has an association with uh, mother trust mother trust is a trust that was formed with the aim of providing healthcare and education to the needy uh, in 2013 they started a project called cope with cancer and that was initiated to help cancer caregivers and also cancer patients so they've they've had a lot of i think donation drives as well they also offer financial support so they reached out to us uh, and they wanted to start a cancer grief loss and bereavement group mm-hmm. so the senior psychologist at mind temple and my mentor ashish thakur he was leading this initiative mm-hmm. and i think it was such a different experience because one is i've not really been exposed to any kind of support group and he's like you know what just come on board and we'll figure it out together and yeah. he's actually been trained in group therapy as well but this was not group therapy this was a support group mm-hmm. so we've you know had a lot of challenges that did come up you know with the grief group and also we like kind of you know learned our way and how we want to navigate the situation but i think it was such a it's such a difficult experience to go through i think grief is so complicated you know it is it does not it does not have one phase everyone experiences grief so differently you know our our body processes and copes with grief differently mm-hmm. but you know losing someone there's no answer to it so a lot of people like when we re- when they reach out to us when they want to you know be a participant of the group they'll mm-hmm. say okay how am i how, will i will my grief go away will i just feel okay now and there's like that you know that managing that expectation of you know the grief's never going to go mm-hmm. you know you're just maybe going to learn how to carry it better maybe you'll just move with it better you know it's like it ebbs and flows it's it's like i look at it in terms of waves sometimes it's a lot one day and then sometimes you know you're feeling much better the next day mm-hmm. you know and it can be years down the line 10 years down the line and the grief is still feeling like so much grief so there is no quick fix to grief there is there is none of that and that is i think a tough answer to tell a lot of people is just just like keep exploring how your grief feels like so that's why the support group is so helpful because you know there's that common narrative of you know people sharing that grief and saying yeah you know i i felt that too i heard that too mm-hmm. and also different challenges do come up in you know grief groups so one is sometimes you know we have a, so we have uh, two facilitators always that's how the grief our grief group works and both of them are uh, psychologists and also mm-hmm. we have volunteers from mother trust so we started off with the cancer grief loss bereavement group and you know looking at the need of the hour we also started with the covid especially after the second wave we started with the covid grief loss bereavement groups and i think we've conducted around four 
four till now yeah so we have psychologists on board we have volunteers on board we have point of contacts that you know the participants can get in touch with if they are either feeling triggered during a session say they want to keep their video off you know we even like give them an informed consent uh, we give them like a form they have to fill before so that they know they know the rules of support group there's so many rules that come into play anonymity confidentiality but like when you actually see a group like perform and like you know when you see a group like in function in process it's so different you see like comparative grief and someone will compare their grief with someone else and these are such difficult like you know at that time the facilitator has to interfere so there's so many challenges that do come up in support groups but i do see like after those seven eight sessions you know people are people have kind of adjusted their expectation you know they mm-hmm. formed a new meaning to grief and i feel that's what that's how support groups also really help is you know forming your meaning to it there is maybe no quick there's no quick fix there's no answer mm-hmm. but just you know what meaning are you making from this journey yeah right so dia could you talk about how support groups exactly work and who moderates the conversations in these support groups so generally you are going to have around two facilitators so one will be a main facilitator you'll have like co-facilitators that will operate now i cannot speak for a lot of other the way other groups function the other support groups function but we always have a psychologist on board and we also have volunteers that say in terms of the cancer grief loss bereavement group uh, we have like people that have been doing counseling in palliative care you know for for years and years so you we have to have people that are trained and experienced and also that we do give them another kind of training on our end as well to understand like the group dynamics because in individual therapy versus group therapy it's completely different you're going to have eight people in the same setting all of them sharing that common space so you have co-facilitators you have around five to six participants and especially now that it's an online group i feel like if it was offline maybe you could have more people be a part of groups especially in terms of like i think aa groups or gambler um, anonymous groups there i feel there are more number of people when you're looking at it in terms of a online space we limited to around like just 5 6 people or just max going up to 7 or 8 people in the group so that's how they function there is you know that the thing is it's a very organic flow there is not a lot of structure to it in terms of you know okay this session we're going to do this in the other session we're going to do that we give a few prompts for just to kind of start conversations and just see how the group functions after that like how is the group flowing from one conversation to another you know we show some kind of video prompts or video uh, thing some kind of videos or some pictures or some quotes and just ask them okay what do you think about this what do you so it's a very organic thing it's not as structured as like say group therapy would be group therapy is completely different so that would be in a more structured format but support groups are i feel in a more organic in a more flowy format especially i'm talking only with respect to the grief group mm-hmm. so yeah it's very organic flowy and yeah and the mod who moderates the conversation as i said two people from mind temple generally psych- uh, psychologists uh, that have been trained in like understanding the way group dynamics work and stuff and also we also have trained volunteers as well right so dear you've been working with mind temple for a while now right and you've also yeah. been part of the support group so can you talk us through the process of starting a support group and how how do you go about with it sure okay so again just from my one experience so with not one experience i think now a few experiences with support groups i feel one is understand your statement of purpose like what is what we call an sop Mm-hmm. understand what are you looking for in that grief group uh, for in, any sorry any support group so i'm going to be talking in terms of grief but just generalize it to any support group so understand 
what is this purpose of the group so it can be to you know caregivers it can be to people that have anxiety so it can be very different so one is understand your sop understand and also have some kind of rough structure in terms of what prompts do you want to give in terms of the in terms of groups mm-hmm. in terms of the sessions i think mm-hmm. a good number of sessions is around i think they say at least around eight sessions minimum so once a week eight sessions meeting for at least an hour and a half depending upon the amount of people that are part of the group so how we started is we you know mind temple and mother trust we had lots and lots of calls i think for a month just trying to get an understanding of the group and you know for us we also did a lot of our own personal reading so ashish that was you know leading the initiative he sent us a lot of his material he studied at nyu so he sent us a lot of reading material and he's like you know for mm-hmm. us to even understand how a group functions let's go back to the basics and just learn so i actually read a lot of like how groups work how grief grief group works like it's very different so a lot of that understanding happened just reading 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 and you know kind of getting and soaking in that knowledge then after that we started making a poster we made a brochure we started circulating that around and in fact it took us a lot of time to get um participants and you know first four people you know signed up for it and we were like okay let's start it because it was already a month mm-hmm. and then at the end only two people showed up for the session but obviously we could not say no so we were like okay let's carry on with it mm-hmm. and we learned so much from that experience so that was the first uh, cancer grief loss bereavement uh, group that was there so we give them a f- in you know we give them an informed consent for them to look mm-hmm. at you know different different things like anonymity privacy confidentiality no gossiping like no any you no know, intimacy you know we like actually stating all of that and making sure it's signed because that's how we wanted it to be extremely professional because that idea of group work was so new to anyone in india i feel so keeping as professional and sticking by the books throughout is very important i think when you start the sessions the first session how we look at it is keeping it as a very simple session just again setting up the needs looking at what are the expectations from people just explaining what a support group is again you know yeah. understanding okay then people will start you know participants will t- start talking about their their concern then we'll suddenly see like a common narrative kind of coming up so the facilitators will do a little bit of pointing okay so this came up here that came up there doing a little bit of associating and you know we always also made sure that we ended our sessions on say a relaxing note mm-hmm. because especially with grief there is no point i feel where things are going to feel oh i'm com- i'm completely happy today i'm completely okay today you know things can coexist you can feel joy and you can feel sadness in the same moment mm-hmm. you're not going to always only feel sadness or always only feel joy that's i don't i feel that emotions can coexist together so you know a lot of that navigating those sometimes you're even feeling that anger and that was one thing we especially saw with the covid grief groups was the amount of anger that people were experiencing and justifiably and validly so the amount of anger that you know i didn't get an ambulance in time i didn't get you know an oxygen cylinder on time and it's and it's difficult hearing that even yeah. for facilitators there were so many times that i felt you know in not in a good space during that session and i was like wow i'm not connected right now i'm feeling a little disconnected because i was dealing with my own emotions right my own anger mm-hmm. so that transparency and counter transparency you know it is it is stressed upon so much in textbooks especially when it comes to the chapter of group therapy like now i see why it was so heavy because you're going to have eight eight people that is invested in this you know having this common space and the feeling this elevated emotion and some might be more than the other so like different areas to navigate when it comes to support groups and like you know keep keep correcting yourself keep working on yourself 
especially as a therapist first group i did like i every time after the call we also like me and my the co-facilitator i was with ashish we had like a debriefing session where we debrief we talk because we also were you know sitting with so many emotions just like how you would do it in an individual yeah. session right you sometimes you step out of an individual session and you're feeling a lot same way in groups also in support groups also it can feel like that just because yeah. you're hearing so much about grief you're hearing things that may trigger you as well so there's a lot of navigating to do so sometimes you see that the client like a part sorry not client a participant has dropped out of the session so ashish would be on call and i would step out and you know connect with the client saying everything's okay is i like, know this was too triggering for me so then i would you know navigate that with the with the participant and speak to him or her mm-hmm. and you know understand what's happening over there we also did a lot of like so some people came into group therapy and then too much then we you know referred them for individual counseling because like you know maybe start here and then come back to group because right now maybe hearing about it is triggering a lot sometimes even referring is better than you know making them stay in that group and keep hearing it that's that's not helpful for them right so there's a lot to navigate i feel it's more complicated than individual but just yeah. like keep going by the book there's a lot of research that's been done on group therapy there's a lot of books i mean i have a book right in front of me called the theory and practice of group psychotherapy and that is a book that really helped me understand the dynamics of group so but it's mm-hmm. actually a very good option to take up i even like just to add the last point is a lot of people especially like say if you want to terminate an individual therapy session a few months of counseling i feel group is such a good way to you know navigate it into that journey so mm-hmm. that you know suddenly you're not feeling out of touch like okay every week i was talking about my emotions now it's fine i'm finding it difficult mm-hmm. so you know having group ther- group therapy or a support group in a place for that is also really helpful so it's a good way to navigate after termination of sessions as well right that was that was quite a good episode i'd say i feel for myself and i'm pretty sure for everyone listening it was very good learning because you know for many people they don't know what support groups are because the mm. tv only shows like media only shows us that support groups are mainly either for drug addicts yeah or it's for people with anger issues that's yeah. that's what at least i used to think of it when i was younger you know mm. and like sort of exploring it so i feel it was a good learning you know and a lot of people are you know scared to be part of support group because they're also scared of being judged by the yeah. other people in the group so you know yeah. for them knowing the details of this would be very important so yeah. that's another plus for the, of this yeah. episode and yeah in general a lot of things to learn so thank you dear for being just with us just to add on yeah. over there like if at any point you know you know the same way how we look at individual counseling that you're going your counselor psychologist how many ever questions you want about okay mm-hmm. how is this going to work same way you should ask your facilitators okay how will this work what is someone like confirm it talk about it. i feel they're more than happy to share so it's mm-hmm. actually very important i think a point i missed out on was it's very important that before you you know take in there's a group there's a criteria that needs to be met right in terms mm-hmm. of should they be a part inclusion exclusion criteria right so should they be a part of this not be a part of this group maybe it's mm-hmm. the best option so it's a lot of the questions that the facilitators would ask you respond to them authentically like you know if you feel like no maybe group is not the space is feeling scary right now don't do it it's fine go come mm-hmm. back to it maybe when you're feeling there okay maybe this is a space i'm okay to navigate now you know so take mm-hmm. your time with it because it any any i feel any therapeutic space is daunting so yeah keep that in mind as well yeah that was that was good i mean thank you for sharing your views on this you know as very important i feel it was very needed you know this episode so thank you dear for being with us thank you so much and to everyone who's listening thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next time